Good morning. It's going to be a short one. The sermon was a little bit longer, and then uh, we had the um, process of installing some deacons, and so that uh, made us run a little bit long today, but uh, that is okay. I realized I'm in the foyer greeting people, and they're coming out and telling me how good the sermon was, and it made me proud. And then I, <laughs> and then I realized the sermon wasn't so good, so... Let's see, we are studying uh, last week, this week, and next week. I'm teaching Ben's class. Uh, he is gone. Last week he was in a meeting. Next week he's in a meeting. And uh, he and Heather uh, snuck away today, I think, to have a little bit of a vacation. And uh, he asked me to teach this section on 1 Timothy chapter 3 dealing with elders. And so, quick review, just to bring us up to speed, since this is a three-parter. We started in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. The Bible says, This is a faithful saying if a man desires the position of a bishop. The word bishop is the word referring to an elder. He desires a good work. We talked about why we should even bother to have elders. Some people say, well, why don't you just let the preacher run the church? And some religions do that. It's not scriptural. That is not the way they did it in the Bible. Acts 11 and verse 30, Jerusalem had elders, Ephesus had elders, Philippi had elders. Some people want to say, why don't you just run it by a men's business meeting? You know, some churches do that, and they seem to be okay. If you don't have qualified men, that's what you have to do. But everyone who has been in that situation knows it's better if you have elders. All right? We moved on to talk about the Bible specifically states that we should have elders. Titus chapter 1 and verse 5, uh, uh, Titus was told to install elders. Acts 14 and verse 23, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders in every church. And then we discuss what if you don't have men qualified to be elders, and we looked at Titus chapter 1 and verse 5, if a man meets these qualifications, then he is to be installed as an elder. If you don't have anyone qualified, don't have elders. Oftentimes, I'm afraid that churches, in an effort to establish an eldership, they have said, well, this man's close, and they've installed an eldership. I have said many times over the years, it is a lot easier to install a man in the eldership than it is to get him out of the eldership. And if you install someone who is not qualified, there's going to be consequences to that. Because God said, elders need to meet these qualifications. If they don't, then they are not suited to do what God says that they need to do. Then we talked about the different situations in which a congregation can find themselves. And we won't go through all of that, but very quickly, they can be scripturally organized, scripturally unorganized, unscripturally organized, or unscripturally unorganized and we won't go through all of it again for the sake of time. But then we started to talk about the qualifications that are listed in 1 Timothy chapter 3. They're also listed in Titus chapter 1. The two lists are similar, but they are not exactly the same. And so to get a full picture, you actually have to look at all of them. And that's true with all of God's Word. If you want to know the plan of salvation, you can't go to one verse. You can't go to two verses. You've got to take everything that the Bible has to say about that subject. And so, what about the qualifications of an elder? We started looking at these 
last week, and we looked in verse number 1, says, if a man desires the office of an elder, he desires a good work. Other translations say, if he aspires to this, if he sets his heart on this. And I told you that a lot of people I've heard over the years teach that desire is the first qualification, and I told you I don't agree with that. I don't believe that desire is a qualification, rather it is a clarification. That is, the Lord is saying, if a man desires this, understand he desires a good work. I think the Lord lays this out to begin with because people could say, well, you know, I know why he wants to be an elder. He wants to be an elder because he wants to be in charge. He just wants to have power, da, 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 all the things they might say. And so he's telling us, if a man desires this, that's a good thing. Now, certainly a man could desire it for the wrong reasons, but don't automatically assume that. And then he says, and so then a man must be blameless. And so he states, if a man desires this, that's a good work. And then he starts to list the qualifications. Now, the first one we looked at last week was an elder must be blameless. We talked about the fact that this does not mean that an elder must be perfect. It literally carries with it the idea that there is no accusation that can be laid hold of. This is a man who has a good character. He's respected in the church and outside of the church. Then we talked about the fact that he must be the husband of one wife. This tells us several things. Number one, only men can be elders. Number two, he must be a married man. And then number three, he must be married to only one woman. He cannot be a polygamist. He cannot be in an unscriptural marriage. And then the third one, this is where we left off last week, the third qualification, according to the King James, is he must be vigilant. The New King James uses the word temperate. The ESV says self-controlled. Now, when you look at these three words, they give you, the, give you a good idea. He's vigilant. He stays on top of things. He is temperate. He controls himself. And the ESV, he is self-controlled. The Greek, literally, if you take the word in its most literal sense, it carries with it the idea of holding no wine. Now, that's used in a metaphorical sense. Why? Because if a person starts drinking alcohol, what does that do to his self-control? What happens to a person's self-control when he starts to drink? He doesn't have good self-control. He starts to lose it. Is he... Um, does he think clearly when he's drinking alcohol? No. That's why the Greek word uses the idea, holding no wine. This man's mindset should be such that it would be likened to a man who has no alcohol in his system. He thinks clearly. He's control, he has control of himself. His mind is the opposite of one who has wine in it. Now, what is he vigilant about? What does he think seriously about? Well, about himself. Acts 20 and verse 28 says, Take heed to yourself and to the church. What's he going to think about himself? He's going to think about his example. That's going to be crucial. He thinks about the way he portrays himself to other people. He is vigilant about the welfare of the church. Acts 20, 28, Take heed to yourself and to all the flock. He's going to take heed and be vigilant 
about doctrine, about morals. He is going to be heavenly-minded. He is a self-controlled individual. Now, uh, again, the American standard says temperate, and I think that helps give us an idea as well. The next word is sober. Sober, the New King James says sober-minded. This word carries with it the idea of serious-minded. He's a sensible person. Now, normally, when we think of the word sober, what do we usually think about? Okay. He doesn't have alcohol in his system. He hasn't been drinking. This Greek word, sometimes you look at the Greek word and it helps explain this. The Greek word comes with the, the idea of, it's actually two words put together to give us this word. The two words are one word that means save and the other word that means mind. He saves his mind. It means he's holding his mental faculties. Thayer's says he's of sound mind. And I think that gives us the idea. It says he is sane. He is one who is in his senses. He curbs his desires, his impulses. He's self-controlled. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7 is a noun form of a word that is translated as sound mind. So what does this mean when you break it down? An elder can't be unreasonable. He's not impulsive. He's not gullible. He's not um, excitable or passionate. And you know what we mean by that. We, he can be passionate for the Lord's work, but he's not a person who just doesn't have control over his emotions. He's reasonable. He's restrained. He's sound in his thinking. When I say he's not passionate, what I mean by that is he doesn't let his emotions overrule his intellect. He doesn't let his emotions and close relationships make him lose his, ob his objectivity. You know, a man, could, uh, a man could lose this qualification because of his age. What do we mean by this? What, what would I mean? How could a man lose his sober, soberness of thought, his clarity of thought, because of his age? What's that? Okay, well, that, I'm thinking about the other end. Yeah, your clarity of thought. It could be, you know, people call it old-timers uh, or Alzheimer's. It, it could be as a person gets aged, you got to watch this because a person could slip as an elder because of this particular quality. Next, he must be of good behavior. That's an interesting way to say it in the King James. The Greek word here is kosmios. It is a word that means orderly. And the American Standard says orderly behavior. This same word, kosmios, appears in 1 Timothy 2 and verse 9, and it's translated there as modest. It seems that the most correct idea in our modern language is he should act like a gentleman. He should present himself appropriately. He is not a rude, crude individual. He's not given to rebellious behavior. The pulpit commentary says he must love good rules. I read this from Brother Bobby Duncan, and I thought it was pretty good. He said, the one who is of good behavior is one who conducts himself in an orderly, well-mannered fashion in connection with the affairs of the church, 
one around whom a great deal of contention and strife is always there, would not be a good elder. One whose rudeness stirs up hard feelings and causes a congregation to be in a needless uproar, he's not of good behavior. Those who have hearts of gold and who are ever so dedicated to that which is right, but they don't know how to behave themselves, they will not promote a general well-being in the congregation, and they are not of the right standing. So a person might have a good heart, but maybe they, they just got a little bit of a rebellious streak in them. They're not gentlemen. Sometimes I've known people who are just... Um, I can think of a man that I knew years ago, and sometimes when he was around women, he would just say things that weren't really appropriate toward them. And people thought he was creepy. Well, that's not an elder. That's not elder material. That's not the gentleman. That's not this characteristic of one who is of good behavior. All right? Here is the next one. Given to hospitality. Titus in uh, verse eight, Titus chapter 1 and verse 8 says, A lover of hospitality. This Greek word comes from two other words. And it's interesting, one is a word that means friendly, and the other is a word that means strangers. This is a word that means he's friendly to strangers. And so a man who is given to hospitality is a man who is friendly. He reaches out to newcomers. You can see how this would be important to a man who's going to be an elder. Because if he's going to promote the growth of the church, an elder is one who's going to reach out to newcomers. He's going to bring them in. He's going to make them a part. He's going to open his house to them. Or he's going to grab them and he's going to say, hey, let's go to lunch together. That would help the church grow, right? You know what's interesting when you read the qualifications of an elder? It struck me almost every one of these qualifications applies to all Christians. Now... Which ones don't? Should all Christians be given to hospitality? Yeah. Should all Christians be of good behavior? Yeah. Should all Christians be sober-minded and even-killed, appropriate in their thinking? Yeah. Should all Christians be vigilant and, that is, serious about spiritual things? Yeah. Should all Christians be the husband of one wife? No, that, that doesn't apply to any women. It's not mandatory that Christians get married, so that one doesn't. Uh, should all Christians be blameless? Yeah. See, when you go down the list, most all of these apply to all Christians. But there are a few exceptions here. All right? An elder then must be given to hospitality. If you've got a man who never reaches out to visitors, he never has anyone in his home, he never invites people to go out, to meals. He's never going to visit people in the hospital. That man's not elder material. Sometimes I've known churches that will install a man like that, and he's just very keep-to-himself kind of guy. That's not elder material because he's not given the hospitality. Every one of these qualifications is here for a reason. All right? The next thing says that he is apt to teach. Um, it's interesting because in Titus's account, it says he's apt to teach. Then immediately, you got to be kidding me. Wow, we just started here. He's apt to teach. I'm apt to not teach because I only have five minutes left. Um, he is apt to teach. Now, right at the end of Titus's account, it says 
that he has to be able to stop the mouths of the gainsayers. Now, what does that mean? Well, a gainsayer is a false teacher. A gainsayer is one who's going to go around and teach things that are not right. And um, the King James says he will subvert households. That is, he can have an influence to start turning people from the inside. Well, why does an elder have to be apt to teach? He's got to be able to deal with that. He's got to know false doctrine, and he's got to know how to refute it. Now, apt to teach, some translations say able to teach. This one drives me crazy because sometimes what happens when a congregation is installing elders is maybe there's a man who has never taught, he never teaches anybody, but someone will suggest his name, and they'll say, well, he's able to teach. That's what the word means is he is able to teach. Not that he teaches, but that he's able to teach. You know what question I ask? If a person never teaches and they say he's able to teach, what question does that beg? How do you know he's able to teach if he doesn't teach? The fact that he's apt to teach means he teaches. If I were to say to you, my son is excellent at doing woodwork. And you said, really? Let me see something that he's done. And I said, uh, well, he's never done any. You would say, well, how do you know? I say, well, he's able. I know he's got that skill within him. How do you know that? Unless he's done it. An elder is a man who teaches. If he does not teach, he does not meet this qualification. Thayer's Greek lexicon says, apt and skillful in teaching. That's how the lexicon defines this. So it is implied that he is able to teach because he has demonstrated it. That's how you know that he is able to teach. Uh, in Titus, it goes on to say this, Titus chapter 1 and verse 9, that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. Why must he be able to teach? so that he can teach the members of the church, and he can rebuke those who teach error. Brother E.R. Harper wrote this, Every man, to qualify as an elder, must possess the ability to teach to the degree that the church can be edified and built up, the truth must be defended, and gainsayers put to flight. That is, false teachers, he's got to be able to deal with that. I have said, though this is not usually listed as a qualification of elders, one of the things at the end of Titus's account when he says that he may be able to convict the gainsayers, not only must he teach, an elder has to have backbone, right? Would you say that's a qualification? Yes, because in able, to, to be able to convict the gainsayers or to stop the mouths of false teachers, you've got to have some backbone. You might have an elder who knows the Word of God backward and forward, but he's of such a timid spirit that he won't deal with the false teacher. He can't do the job of an elder because an elder has to be able to do this. Why? Because he has to be able to stop the mouths of the gainsayer. As Titus 1.9 says, rebuke those who contradict it. If he can't do that, he can't be an elder. All right, here is the next one. The text says, not given to wine, verse 3. The ESV says he's not a drunkard. Um, of course, the word wine here refers to alcoholic wine. Uh, the idea is 
that a man who drinks is not qualified to be an elder. And I think, you, to me, this goes without saying that it's alcoholic wine that's being considered, but um, sometimes this has to be discussed because in the Old Testament, there was a qualification set forth if a man was going to be a Nazarite, he could not have any wine. What was meant by that? He couldn't have any product of the grape. And so he couldn't have grape juice. He couldn't have alcoholic wine. This is from Numbers chapter 6 and verse 3. This is not what that's talking about. This is not saying that it's something like a Nazarite vow. It's saying that the man can't drink alcohol. Now, that kind of goes without saying, but this is alcoholic wine. That was the second bell, right? All right, we are out of time. I want to pick up and talk some more about this one, though, not given to wine. All right, thank you.